0: Jesse and Chris, guess where, guess where I am? Your kitchen. I am in my kitchen, yeah. but guess where my kitchen is? In your uh, apartment. Nope. I'm in Settigliano, three miles outside of Florence, Italy. How about that? Oh. Where it's not below zero and it's not snowing and it's 55 degrees and it's I hate freaking you. Italy. So how lucky am I? Went for an awesome I've- walk today through the olive trees, looking down at the Duomo. I'm here with Benedictine College study abroad, and it's pretty sweet.
2: Awesome, man. Yeah. How was the travel there? It was uh, pretty
0: uneventful. Everybody was telling us you'll never get in the country with COVID, and you know will <laughs> never get in. I just got on the. I got tested. I showed my paper. I showed my work form that I was requested to come. Got through passport control. No problems. No problems But you know, when you travel this way, it's the overnight flight, but you're not tired, so I slept for about 30 minutes in 28 hours, so that first day is painful. But
1: yeah. Uh, hey, now I'm getting well, let used me to ask it. you this, Dennis.: Well, we podcasted last, we said that uh, we talked about Rome's note about how ashes are to be sprinkled, and mm-hmm. at least in the United States, that was something that we weren't accustomed to. So yep. I presume you went to Ash Wednesday Mass, in, uh I did uh, in Italy, and uh, did you get sprinkled? I
0: got ashes on top of my hair hmm. and I never even noticed they were there after that. Like, I guess it just goes like down into your scalp and just stays there. So you don't have any marks on your head or anything. And I thought it was going to fall out or on your shoulder. And didn't. We used like old school ashes. You know, like if you have a barbecue with charcoal and those sort of gray, it's not these nice black ashes that we use in America. like It looked like gravel basically that they just like poured <laughs> on our heads. So it was a different kind of ash than we get in America.
1: Have you ever tried to, either of you, have you ever tried to actually make ash from last year's uh, dried palms? I it's not very not. hard. I thought they would burn like it's paper. It's really but, hard. But they don't. You need a blowtorch, practically, to keep these things burning. Yeah. And then after you get them burned, you know, to a sufficient degree, there's still pieces and things. And you have to take, what do they call that thing? The, a mortar and... Mortar and pestle, yeah. Yeah, and then you've you got to pulverize it even mm-hmm. more. It's really hard to do. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, we had a little bag of
0: professional ashes we bought from some church supply company. And that was way yeah. I better. think that's where
1: most places get
0: them. It was like baby powder. It was so perfect. So, huh. but what I got on my head was more like uh, rocks and dust of ashes. Great ashes, yeah. but it's
2: more earthy. A little we less the, uh, we use the nice ash here. So, uh, so yeah, I would say you know we talked about this last Friday. We talked about the the way it's distributed i i think i saw people in the states some people were still doing the mark on the forehead uh depending i guess what the diocese was telling them they could do but i don't think it was that big of a deal and dennis like you said like i i don't even really notice and you know what i actually made a connection with the readings because this idea of you know when you fast don't make it look like you're fasting don't make it look like you're doing this and i thought you know maybe sprinkling the ashes on the head and you're not really, you don't have that full outward sign of like, you know, I'm a Christian and I, I went to Ash Wednesday, you know, that yeah. type of stuff. So maybe it's maybe like a more, uh, per chance, it's like a better way to do it. I don't know. Could be. What if you're
0: bald and the ashes just like roll right off your head? At least the I, ashes we had would have <laughs> been on my shoulder. I have a
2: couple of uh, bald friends and they were like, people just kept telling me I had dirt on the
1: back of my head. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <specs>
0: yeah, so there's many of the, the up to date news items of liturgy. What are we doing here today? Yeah, we're there's a, like a couple other things. A little news thing. Well, I know, I know <inaudible> one of them for
2: sure is that uh, as of Ash Wednesday, we're moving the word one from the closing sentence of the collect. So it's yes, not one God uh, forever and ever. You
1: mentioned it's this a few weeks ago, Chris, but what is that about? Yeah. Yeah, so apparently the. So we're talking about the collect or the opening prayer for the mass, which you would also pray at the Liturgy of the Hours. And the conclusion, uh, as it had been, was through Jesus Christ, your son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one One God God. forever and ever. And apparently one doesn't exist in the uh, Latin text. It just says God, God forever and ever. God forever and ever. And, And so I guess it was last May, Cardinal Seurat and the Congregation for Divine Worship sent this memo to all the English-speaking bishops' conferences, because apparently this is not, well, I mean, maybe you can attest to this uh, being in Italy, Dennis. Apparently, uh, one doesn't appear, or it's equivalent, doesn't appear in the other vernacular languages, but it does in English. Yeah, I've been to mass in Italian a few times, but I have no idea if they said one or not, so it may have been there. (laughs) You could report back to us next week, see if you notice that. Uh, Well, I guess you wouldn't, because it's never been in there. And so they asked all the English speaking bishops conferences to remove the one from the, uh, from that concluding doxology. And the question was, well, why what's at stake? And I mean, on the, on the, one of the reasons is because, you know, the, it's not in the Latin and, you know, the church has been working on how to talk to God for millennia. But we just had a new uh, missile, Chris. Why didn't we solve this? Yeah, I know. Now you're getting white out or or something yeah you know? that's
2: that's what i was gonna say chris you traveled the country telling people and you forgot about this one thing what's, well, what's going on yeah
1: apparently the inside baseball is that uh when isil was translating it they brought up to the to the holy See that hey there's no one in here and the holy says ah don't worry about it just go ahead and keep it in there and then uh you know 10 years later they said you know actually you should take that out so <laughs> yeah
0: i heard somebody from that iso international commission on english and the Liturgy say that we wanted to take it out but rome made us keep it so i think they were uh preparing themselves for attack but what's the yeah. theological issue here chris well uh, yeah isn't that's God the one million dollar.
1: yeah that's the that's the real tough question so you know like what we try to do you know, liturgical catechesis and whatnot is we don't say do it because Rome says so or do it because we've always done it that way or do it because the rubrics say so. Or even though those are, you know, we're not those are good reasons. But what? Why? What's the what's the substance behind it? Do it and because your diocesan been, worship director says oh, so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah oh, cause... yeah. Yeah. Everybody. Uh, everybody does it for that reason. That was a good Wisconsin. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah only oh, yeah. The... Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> only in
2: the diocese of lacrosse do they. Do, yes, yeah, yeah.
1: you betcha. They. Uh, mm, So it's that's been a difficult question to 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 understand. And so in in uh, the letter that the congregation sent, you know, I'm not reading like the tome of St. Leo or the 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 proceedings of the Council of Nicaea on a regular basis. But, you know, I'm kind of familiar with these early Christological councils. Lazy. I couldn't make head or tails of, (laughs) of some of it. But I guess the one that was most understandable to me was that the one, uh, at least um, in the, the the term God, as in one God, refers back to Jesus and not to the Trinity. And so in English, when we say one God, it's not a reference to the Trinity, which is one God, but it's a reference back to Jesus. And so it's uh, it it could lead you to understand that Jesus is one God and the Holy Spirit is one God and the father is one God. And apparently that's, a, that's a heresy. So I don't know what they call it. Tritheism well, or something like that. You
0: know, that. I've been hearing that my whole life and I've never been tempted to think this. I've so, never thought that either. I mean, I'm all for precision but, in liturgical translation, but this one yeah, is uh, yeah interesting. So we don't have to print a new missile apparently.
1: It's no, a, you're just in, in. Yeah, new things that are printed, it won't show up. But otherwise, the the priest is just supposed to drop the one from the collect. Maybe so. they're just
2: trying to make more money. Where they're like, "Well, now you need a new missile." No, they specifically, specifically said, said way it's of looking this. at not Jesse. <laughs> that's like the college textbooks. Like, yeah, we updated, <laughs> we added one page, so you need to use this one now.
1: One page. Yeah, true enough. Forever and ever. Anyway, yeah. So that's one news item, I and mean, of course it. <laughs> you know uh, you, other cynics like you Jesse, think really this is this is what we're concerned about when you know the world uh, is falling hey, i apart want to be very night. clear
2: that i'm on the same page okay forever yeah, yeah, and ever so to amen speak,
1: yeah <laughs> but you know uh, get, getting your prayer to god right isn't a distraction it's rather kind of a foundation for saving the world and yeah. uh, restoring your culture and things so
0: like would this and, be so. related to
1: ontology chris
0: my favorite word ontology
1: Well, I think it would be because the language has to express the ontology of uh, God, I suppose. Uh, So, yeah, I would say that, Mm -hmm. you know, you you pray as you believe and believe as you pray. And so it's important to get the the language right. And, you know, like I said before, the church has been working on this language for centuries. And so, I don't know, it's hard to find the right words to express the faith, to express God's ontology. Uh, yeah. But she's been at it for a very long time. So it's important to, uh, to follow that uh, lingua franca, as you say, in uh, Italy. Yes, I got to torture right. so we, so we ha- <laughs> oh, go
2: her. Uh, we got another news, uh, Catholic liturgy news update. Uh, Chris, do you
1: want <clears throat> to? <Yeah>. there's <inaudible> a lot of stuff that uh, has been happening
2: lately in the liturgy. So good for business, I guess.
0: I think we need a really attractive news lady, like
1: Fox News lady on our team. Oh, I'll ask Karen. Yeah. yeah okay. Good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a good thing our faces are on podcasts. You don't. You don't show this, do you? Jesse? No. This is just but a, our excellent voices. But I did
2: tweet that picture of you looking like Thor, and uh, <laughs> we had some pretty good reactions from oh, that. Boy. So. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: If, I, yeah. I was filming something for Chris, and I said, "Hey, how does this look?" And he said, "Can you make me look more like Thor?" So I photoshopped his face onto <laughs> Thor's body. And I uh, tweeted it, so you can look at that at uh, the the Liturgy Guys Twitter account. But it, but no, we have uh, some new some new saints, if you could say it that well, way, which is
0: new saints. They're Christmas not new days, saints. Right? Changing but the calendar. Yeah, but
2: yes, that's what I want to say. All right, so and did, that's it for it, the day, guys. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> tune in next week and find out what the heck we're talking about.
1: <laughs> uh, All right, so. Yeah, so. The this, basic when, when deal is one month Chris? ago now. Go ahead, Dennis. Uh, well,
0: July 29th used to be what feast day or and what is it now?
1: Yeah, well that the July 29th used to be I think it was memorial of St. Martha uh July 22nd was a feast day or is at the at the designation of feast of uh, Mary Magdalene. Right. But then uh, Pope Francis, was it a month ago maybe, uh, declared Lazarus a saint as well. And I guess they're all supposed to be now together. This is a little unclear. Is they're all supposed to be inscribed together mm-hmm. on a single feast day? Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure. What do you know about that? Yeah, well, you know,
0: there's actually a really nice, short and very clear little article by Father Raymond de Sousa um, February 4th in the National Catholic Register about it. And actually, he makes the point about how the liturgical calendar and fees help us to understand liturgy, which is actually very smart. Cause, you, know, he did, you know, some of the things we've talked about, how the presentation of the Lord is 40 days after Christmas, because that's when you know, the firstborn would be taken up uh, to the temple. And so he mentioned that the Roman martyrology, which is, you know, the book that records the canonized saints, um, saints according to their feast days. A lot of days have a lot of names, so only some of them are in the universal calendar, which means that the whole church celebrates them. You could imagine if you had a local saint in the cross somebody in, you know, Mexico may not be interested in the Saint Chris
1: Carsten's uh, feast day. Um but uh, just if I could since you brought it up a little shout out to uh blessed James Miller who was uh, martyred in Central America his feast day is February 13th so anyway just go ahead. Is he from your diocese? He is. He's oh, from okay. uh near Polonia near Oh, Rome, how about that? The central part of the state. Yeah. And okay, people so.
2: said nothing good ever comes out of Wisconsin.
1: Who said that?
2: Everybody says that. <laughs> Literally everybody. You
1: Chicago people. <laughs>
0: Well, you know what they did? You just said it. So the July 22nd was the feast day of um, Mary Magdalene, right? And then on the octave of her feast day was the feast of St. Martha, July 29th. So apparently they put those two together to indicate that they were the sisters, you know, Martha, Mary Magdalene and Martha. But then they weren't sure, like, which Mary is this? There's a Mary of Bethany. Is she the sister of Martha, or is it Mary Magdalene? And I guess they didn't really know, so they never put them together as one feast. So finally, I guess they did enough biblical research now that the two Marys are separate people, and so Mary Magdalene can have her own thing. But this other Mary, who is was sort of not really known uh, who she was, is now known separately from Mary Magdalene, as the sister of Martha and the brother of Lazarus, and the three of them are a family unit, and now they're brought together, and I guess, as you said, Lazarus is not neglected anymore. Is that right, Chris?
1: Well, I guess so, but I didn't understand it. Um, So what you're saying, Dennis, is that the July 22nd feast day of Mary Magdalene is not the Mary who was a sibling of Martha and Lazarus.
0: That apparently is what the biblical scholars, at least as far as the Vatican and the calendar people, have decided is a different person. So Mary, the Mary who's added to Mary, Martha and Lazarus, is now distinctly a different Mary from Mary Magdalene. And she needs her own feast and they're including Lazarus in it. So the three of them are two sisters and a brother and they're celebrated together, partly because the Pope wants to indicate the importance of family. So that's one of the reasons. You know, Sometimes you say, well, why would the Pope be interested in doing this? It's not usually just because there's some anomaly in the calendar. It's because there's some theological issue that's going on today that he wants to try to uh, bring attention to. And so to correct the calendar, to decide which saint is which, and then emphasize this um, family quality, apparently, is something he wanted to do too, and adding Lazarus. You know, you mentioned that he made Lazarus a saint. Is that right, Chris?
1: Well, yeah, that was part of his uh, part of the decrees to put all of them on there. So I, now there's Saint Lazarus. So I I don't know how it, how it will look in the missal, the uh, the feast day of Saints Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. All right, I don't know, but yeah, yeah, yeah know. Saint Lazarus.
2: Is there an official canon canonization where they have to? Take his banner, and they take the banner and (laughs) raise it up. They say, (laughs) say, rise up, Lazarus! (laughs) Rise up!'
0: Oh, (laughs) dude! Yeah,
1: Yeah, I guess Uh, he doesn't have an official
0: canonization decree,
1: right? He's just uh, a saint by knowing Jesus. You know, that's uh, we we uh, you know as we discuss which uh, which answers to uh, uh, liturgy questions we we might know and address. Uh, we've talked about this before. What about Old Testament saints? Yep. Uh, and I thought this baby was, was a part of that. I mean, like, is there a St. Moses and a St. David? Yes. And uh, and a St. Yeah, is it? A St. Mm-hmm. Jesse? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, yeah, there you go. St. Jesse. The
0: patriarchs. Uh, I mean, I imagine there are bad people from the Old Testament who wouldn't be considered saints, but the holy the holy ones, I think many of them are considered saints. We don't use that very often, but I do
1: think that I looked that up. Do you think uh yeah sorry to put you on the spot there. I don't know the answer to this either. Uh I I wonder if uh maybe in the some of the eastern traditions uh it's more common to refer to Old Testament figures as Saint Abraham or something like that. I think so. But I know even like <clears throat> in our litanies of the saints or things like that uh it appears that we don't really have any Old Testament saints unless they're like Martha Mary, John the Baptist, who were around the time of Jesus, and so kind of... Uh, uh, in the New Testament you know, as well, yeah. Yeah, kind of, uh, yeah, had some existence in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. We uh, call them Mid-Testamenters. Mid-Testamenters.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a, so I have a question about this. Yeah. So, the, we will We will always continue to have new saints, and we will never have a time where we're adding days to the calendar, so to speak. So... I foresee like a couple of things happening, you know, dec- maybe decades from now, centuries from now. But, you know, would we have to, in a sense, you know, quote unquote, clear the board again and kind yeah. of start over so there's more room? Or would would there ever be a, an instance where we put the saints on a, like a three year schedule, just like, you know, um, you know, the mm-hmm. ABC schedule where this, you know, in year C, we have these saints as opposed to year B.
0: Yeah, my guess is that that would not—I mean, who knows But it? My guess is that would not happen. You know, at the time of Vatican II, they got rid of, quote-unquote, a lot of saints, and a lot of people are upset, or they moved their feast days around. But the historical situation was that there were a lot of saints that were universally valid, you know, in Rome in the 5th century or something. And then 1,500 years later, nobody knows who they are. So here are these saints that are not particularly— Lively, you know, in terms of people's veneration these days who were hogging up the calendar, so to speak. So they did clear out saints that weren't particularly important off the universal calendar, but they could still have left them in local calendars and dioceses and national calendars, for instance. And um, so I guess the time will come when, you know, St. Kunegunda, maybe nobody knows who she is anymore, and that's that, you know, or St. Uh, that's not uh,
2: true, because people but, will listen to this podcast. from this St. Podcast, Rutiger.
1: You. Yeah. One podcast of
2: a... forever and ever.
1: <laughs> but I think, you know, even before the Second Vatican Council, the, the Trent did the same thing is, you know, there there got to be, it sounds weird to say it this way. There got to be too many saints and uh, they were kind of obscuring. I mean, the calendar is about manifesting the life of Christ in time. And when the saints start to, again, it, it doesn't seem, Quite correct. Say this way, but kind of elbow out or uh, th- throw shade on Christ or something and like that. Can we get
2: some saints from outside of the country of Italy, please? I mean, it just—it's well, enough is enough already.
1: Jeez. Hey, Dennis is in Italy, so just watch it. He's sensitive yeah. to that. Now. But no. But, but as he was saying before, that's what the—that's what they wanted to do: is to uh, reduce the number of universally celebrated saints and then defer down to the local churches, the particular churches. And so, Saint Christopher is not on the universal calendar anymore, but he is in, uh, I suppose, Germany and things like that. Yeah. And so, local the saint should be observed on a more local rather than a universal level, because that way it, it uh, kind of retains the primacy of Christ and uh, his mystery on the in the liturgical right. calendar. But the, they've been doing this for centuries. Yeah.
0: The other day, here on Tuesday, right before Ash Wednesday, went to evening mass at a the Annunziata Church here, and it was Tuesday. Five o'clock, mass, six o'clock mass, and they're, they're singing the Gloria. They're singing the Misa de Angelis. There's incense. and I'm like, what is this solemnity? Is there something I don't know about, you know, the octave of Ash Wednesday or something? Turned out it was the feast day of the founder of the Servites, and this was a Servite church. So that was a solemnity for them, but not for anybody else. It was lovely, you know, beautiful music and incense and everything, and a really quite beautiful uh, church as well. You know, this article by Father Souza mentions that Pope Francis added uh, St. Faustina's feast day to the universal calendar uh, recently. And I didn't even know that, right? On May 18th, he did it as on the 100th anniversary of St. John Paul II. So St. Faustina had a feast day before, but she wasn't on the universal calendar of the church, and now she is. So somehow that one got by us, Chris. We didn't even notice that uh, that thing as well. I would really, if you know, if you're really interested in this, Martha, Mary, Lazarus thing. This article by Father D'Souza is really, really nice. You know the decree. I can, the, I
2: can post a link to it in the show notes.
0: Yeah, sure. The decree from Rome just says, and now this is this is what it'll be. Um, but I guess uh, I don't know how Father D'Souza knows these things. But he talks about there was always this active and pa- receptive uh, quality to Martha and Mary. You know, she chose the better part. And, he also makes the point that Jesus didn't just show up to talk to Martha and Mary, that he showed up with the 12 apostles. So, you know, feeding all of them would have been a big deal. <laughs> I never really thought about that. You kind of think of Jesus walking around by himself. But he adds Lazarus, and he mentions that Lazarus is not just receptive, but passive. Very interesting. Active, receptive, and passive. Lazarus didn't do anything, right? He was just lying there until he's told to get up. In this utter passivity, he says that God's life, God's gift of life is his initiative and uh, not ours. And so that's another way to pull the theological wisdom out of this feast.
2: That kind of reminds me of uh, Monty Python, where they bring out your dad, and the guy's like, I'm not dead yet.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Completely dead. From the sublime to the mundane. Thanks, Jesse.
2: You're welcome. (laughs) All right. uh, Any other news here, guys? Oh, I'll I'll say this. Uh, In a few weeks, Dennis, we'll we'll be launching a course from you for our program. Really? Was I there? You were there, and you did teach it. Uh, liturgical enculturation and adaptation Ah, yes,
0: yes, yes, yes An uh, often misunderstood concept And um, I think it'll be helpful to, to really understand What enculturation is and why it's so important It's not just a bunch of left-wing gobbledygook from the 60s It's actually a very important theological thing That was very important to Pope uh, John Paul II And very important to our own Cardinal George of Chicago Since he was a missionary, oblate uh, of. Uh, Missionary of Mary Immaculate.
2: All right, all right, uh, let's do a liturgy question, huh? All right, all right. All the way from Italy, a liturgy
1: question. So why go to the liturgical institute? Well, if you want to serve the church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the church, you won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the magisterium, but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition.
0: Oh. oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me?
2: Why do you care?
0: Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone?
2: All right, this week we have a question from Carrie. Carrie says, hello, literature guys. Thank you for the spectacular... Hello, Carrie. Oh, I forgot about that part. <laughs> Thank you for Kerry. the gosh thank you for this particular podcast and a special thanks to jesse for pronouncing my name correctly in a previous episode it's really rare you're welcome carrie i think she's talking about her last name uh heft I yeah, hope I how,
1: d- how do you mispronounce carrie
2: well her last name h-o-e-f-t i think it's heft i think that's how i said it I hope i hope i didn't change my pronunciation uh errantly. So she says, uh, I've played and sang at many parishes, and whenever I don't have a cantor, I have sung the psalm from the organ, uh, accompanying myself. However, when I don't have a cantor at my current parish, I've been told by the pastor that I ought to sing the psalm a cappella from the pulpit rather than accompanying myself at the organ in the back. Is there any mm-hmm. concrete directive as to where the psalm ought to be sung. I understand the importance of proclaiming the word of God from the pulpit, but it, it is the location more important than having the psalm accompanied at a weekend liturgy. Thanks for your guidance, mm. Carrie. Thanks, Carrie. Uh-huh. Okay, Chris,
0: you have uh-huh. document genius yeah. and I don't, so I'm gonna say something first and then maybe you can swoop in and rescue me from my ignorance, okay? <laughs> Let's first say there is a distinction between a cantor and a psalmist. Oftentimes, they're the same person. But a psalmist sings a psalm, and that is scripture. And the church tends to privilege scripture being proclaimed from the ambo. Now, and she's asking about the psalm, but just so that people have that down, if someone's just leading a song, the opening song, um, they really can be anywhere and don't necessarily need to be seen, although it's helpful when they're seen because people know what they're singing.
1: Now Actually, the one place where you, they shouldn't be, uh, is at the am is at the ambo. So if you're leading the right. opening song, you wouldn't do that from the ambo, right? There might be a lectern up front or something, but theoretically, yeah, a, yeah, a, a yeah. Lectern, or the
2: presider's a, chair
1: or the yeah. sacristy. Come on, Chris, <laughs> standing, standing on the altar, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> boy, it's anything goes with you guys, I tell you. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's rules couldn't... to follow,
2: yeah. I, I very much found that out with your comment. <laughs>
0: Okay, so we got that down. Now, a psalmist is very particular, right? Proclamation of Scripture, and the church usually wants that at the ambo. But, Chris, tell us something about the general instruction of the Roman Missal.
1: Mm, Yeah, okay, so I'm reading from number 61, which is on the responsorial psalm, and its location here. It says... Uh, it's preferable for the psalm to be sung, at least as far as the people's response is concerned. Hence, the psalmist or cantor of the psalm, there's your distinction, Dennis, mm-hmm. sings the psalm verses at the ambo or another suitable place. Hmm. So i it seems, well, at the ambo or another suitable place. So it doesn't have to be at the ambo. Could be from the loft. But what's, if you had to choose... Is it which is more, which is preferable to sing it, sing the psalm a cappella from the ambo or sing the psalm accompanied from the loft? My Discuss. guess
0: would say, even though it's not the law, so to speak, that the proclamation of scripture from the ambo would be would have pride of place if I were thinking it through. Although not absolutely must be always all the time. If there's a good reason for
1: some other option. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, I also some, agree. The Not that it matters, but I agree. Somewhere else that the primary musical instrument is the unaccompanied human voice. And so I think most of the, I don't know, most of the liturgy's music, most of the Mass's music is, is sort of unaccompanied. And so I think I'd put the weight of the, the choice on singing at a cappella from the Ambo, but recognizing that, no, I mean, if it's Easter Sunday or it's a day that uh, really does merit uh, accompaniment uh that 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 the the loft accompanying is uh with accompanying on the organ is also a legitimate option but anyway right. and for being a cantor at the liturgical institute for many years
0: in the morning completely acapella i do know how hard it is to pull a note out of your head to be in the right mode or the right key and just sing so maybe not every cantor is up for that um so maybe the pastoral decision between the musician and the pastor is certain cantors are able to do it certain or not and you kind of have to see what's the best thing to do but now we know at least in the law it's not mandatory although there is obviously a preference and i don't know where it is off the top of my head but somewhere in sing to the lord it talks about uh cantors maybe not psalmists who don't necessarily need to be seen they don't need big gestures i think Part of what we have to consider here is are people still stuck in the 70s, 60s mode where people were so used to doing nothing that they had to be kind of coaxed into singing, you know, the, the big hand raising thing. And so they have to be in the front. Maybe we're not at that place anymore. And we can let the uh, the singing of the right text be done in the right place by the right person in the right way, not as a, a remedy to the, the poison of the 50s, but as the uh, reality, as the missile asks us to, to
2: live it. And let's let's not. Delete the idea or the possibility of bringing up a keytar. I mean, you you got your keys there. You're hyper mobile. I mean, I think that might be the solution you're looking for, Carrie. So uh, Dennis uh, is looking it, at me like I'm a crazy person. <laughs> I, I do
0: not know what you're talking about, but that's you've not never right. s- You
2: know what a keytar is.
0: Is that I, a I don't have guitar idea. with a little keyboard in it, like
2: in the you, 80s? It's in your technology. A, oh my gosh, you guys! This was like the in the music of the 80s. You should Oh know. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that like a like, guitar, but it's a piano. It's, it's like a keyboard yeah. that you it's wear like, like a guitar.
0: It's like Hall and Oates era. Yeah.
2: Anyway, God, all that joke notes. did not land with these guys. Hopefully, it went a little with
1: flat, you. didn't it?
2: Oh man, Aww. that was a hey, that was a sharp uh,
1: observation. <laughs> mm-hmm. Kid. Well, there we are, ladies and gentlemen. Aren't you glad you asked, Carrie?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, Carrie, I hope that answers your question. And if you have a question for us, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at liturgyguys. Thank you and God bless.
0: The Liturgy Guys is brought to you by the Liturgical Institute at the University of St. Mary of the Lake, Adoremus, Society for the Renewal of the Sacred Liturgy, and the Center for Beauty and Culture at Benedictine College. Now that's a podcast.